serious point. It's kind of a, it's not really a joke, it kind of is. But as we think about our understanding of the Lord's Supper, that in the Lord's Supper, that uh, we would read that the Lord's Supper is a picture, it is something that God calls us to as believers in response to what Jesus has already done for us. Why that's important, how we say that, it's in response to what Jesus has already done for us, is that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it doesn't do something in terms of, uh, of adding something to our salvation. Um, that, that, that there's a reason that we, as we believe this, and why not having bread tonight is not a problem for us, because if, if we were of, of um, in Roman Catholicism would teach that the bread and the cup uh, provide grace, and uh, if I was withholding, if you weren't getting grace this morning because of that, that would be a problem for us. But we realize that grace has been provided all at Jesus. And so it is finished. Well, if you'll open your Bibles with me this morning, um, if you're gonna, we'll open your Bibles to the book of Acts, is where we're going to start. And we're going to look, our message this morning is going to be a little more topical than what we typically have. We typically will look at a passage and work through it. Uh, this morning we're doing something a little different, beginning a series that we're going to look at some different topics of, that are really important to the church. And in Acts chapter 2, what we see in Acts chapter 2 is the early church has been esta- is being established, the Holy Spirit has been poured out, people are being saved, and the church is growing and in chapter 2 of Acts, Acts 2.42, it says to us, and they, that's this disciples, the early church, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And this one little verse gives us a snapshot of some of the things that were going on in the early church and what marked their gatherings. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What would that be? What are the apostles' teaching? Well, that would be what we have is the Word of God. Okay, these apostles have written these books. So they've given themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they're, te- they're the teaching of God's Word. And it says, and to fellowship. That is mean being together, growing together, walking together, encouraging one another, sharing Christ together. And the fellowship, the breaking of bread, that would be the Lord's Supper. And then to the prayers. And in many ways, this begins to kind of shape what our church looks like when we gather. That we gather to devote ourselves to the teaching of God's Word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And this morning, we're going to be talking about this idea of prayer. That I, is, is my desire, and I believe it's God's desire, that we would be a praying church. Not simply a group of individuals that pray, not people that sporadically pray, but a praying church. That prayer would be undergirding all of what we do, that it would be infused in all that we hope to accomplish, that we are not depending on our own strength, but we're depending on His, that we're talking to God and we're engaging with Him. And we are seeking to be faithful. And and as we understand this idea of faithfulness, we have used this little picture a few times recently. And this kind of summarizes the focus that we are having right now is this idea of faithfulness, that God calls us to faithfulness. And the picture looks like this. We have God's work. Okay, so God works. God works in us. He's sent Jesus. He's provided grace. God works, and through God's work, we have faith. And the faith that we have then translates into faithfulness. We shared a few weeks ago that faith without faithfulness is dead. 
which is a reflection of what James says, faith without works is dead. Well, what are works? Our works that we're talking about are works of faith, that we're responding to God and what God calls us to by being faithful to what he says. And so as we have faith, that we're faithful, that God then works through our faithfulness. God works through the faithfulness of his people. And we see that faithfulness is commendable to God. We hear in Matthew 25, we looked a couple weeks ago, that God told his faithful servant, he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he gives them additional opportunities, responsibilities, and says, enter into the joy of your master. And so faithfulness leads to praise and reward from God. God calls us to be faithful. We also then looked last week that faithfulness leads to a brighter day. That God is desiring that we be on a path, the path of the righteous that gets brighter and brighter till the full day. And as we're on the path, following Jesus, walking with him, a path of faithfulness, that we can have confidence that our days can get brighter and brighter. Now, maybe not easier and easier, but brighter and brighter, filled with joy and hope and confidence and peace because we're walking on a path that pleases and honors our God. And so last week, as we talked about the brighter day, this card was in your bulletin, and I think it is in there again this morning. And the idea is, this idea is that what does it mean for us to be faithful? What is this big idea that God's calling us to? And this card is for your benefit. This is uh, for you to understand and to stick on your refrigerator or to stick in your Bible to think this is the work God calls us to. This work of rescue. We want to see people rescued out of this kingdom of darkness, living for themselves and all the, the brokenness that comes with that, to be transferred into the kingdom of the sun, to the kingdom of light, to go from darkness to light. And as people are in the light, then we grow and change and we become more and more like Christ as we follow him. So there's rescue and renew. How do we do that? That we are God's people. We are called to proclaim God's word. This is the tool of transformation. God uses his word to change lives. But we do that in prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. Because we know we can't accomplish this work on our own. We can't save anyone. We can't change anyone. But God uses us as we speak truth, trust in the Holy Spirit, that God accomplishes his work in his time, which is also really important because our timing and God's timing are oftentimes on vastly different pages because I want God to do what I want God to do yesterday. And as we read in the Word of God, sometimes God's schedule is decades long beyond us. And so we're called to do it in God's time. Well, over these next few weeks, we're going to continue to build on this, and we're going to look at three disciplines that God calls us to as a church that these are three activities, are foundational activities that every believer is to be involved with, but also the whole church. This is what we're to be about as a church. Uh, these three principles are clearly laid out in Scripture. And in fact, they're so familiar that they're easy to neglect. There's a familiarity. It's like, oh yeah, we're supposed to be doing that. But they're also, though, if we're faithful to these three areas, I am convinced that God is a, will be able to do far more in us and through us than we could ever imagine. And there are three simple little disciplines of prayer, evangelism, and discipling. Those are the three things. And so the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer. Then we're going to shift to talk about evangelizing. And then we're going to talk about discipling. And to go along with that, we've got three books that we're going to make available to the church family that we want to encourage you to read with us. 
Uh, the deacons have actually tonight we're finishing the third book, the deacons. But the first book is guess what it's about? Prayer. Okay. The next and look now are these big books? No, they're little. And then some of them have pictures. All right. So what I'm trying I'm trying to push you to set a buy a book. They're five dollars. They're in the connection point. But what I want to encourage you to do is to read it to go along with what we're talking about. I'm not going to be preaching about what the books, well, the same content, but they're presenting it in different ways. But this will, I think, help firm up and, and undergird the foundation of that. So we're going to do this for a few weeks. Then we're going to switch to the evangelism book for a, couple, for a few weeks and then to the discipling one. One of the things we're going to partner with this is that uh, we're going to begin next week. Um, those of you who want to buy the book and want to spend a little time talking about it, during our Sunday morning essential Sunday school time, we're going to have a discussion time to come and talk about what you've read, things that you've observed, things that stand out to you. And it's really not primarily a teaching time, but a time of discussion. The deacons have been doing this over the past uh, couple of months, and it's been really profitable. And so we thought, well, let's do that. And so we're going to have some of the deacons are going to be involved with that. And uh, anyway, I'd encourage you to pick up a book, start reading it, show up on Sunday mornings uh, if you're not in one of the other classes, and, and join in that discussion. So that's kind of big picture. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about prayer. As we think about prayer, prayer is one of those topics that we think about, how do you define prayer? Well, we have a real simple definition of prayer. Prayer is talking to God. Okay, now, as you're filling out your notes, I want to give you a heads up. We're not going to get all the way through all of our notes today. There will be the last couple points we're not going to get to. Um, So, those of you who like your notes filled out, I'm just warning you ahead of time, okay? This is not going to go well for you. Um, but so prayer is talking to God. It's very simple, right? That idea. And, and we see this idea modeled throughout the scripture. We see people all through the scriptures talking to God. We see Adam and Eve in the garden talking to God in his presence. We see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David. The prophets are talking to God. Jesus prays. The disciples prayed. All throughout the Bible, we see people talking to God. And the reason why people can talk to God is because our God is a personal God. He's not just this force out there that we're trying to tap into. He is a personal God. He has a name. His name is Yahweh. He has a personality. He has characteristics that we read about. He is a person that we can talk to. And we see people talking to God about almost everything throughout the Word of God. We see people talking about praying that God would... With Hannah prays that God would give her a child. We, pray, we hear people praying to get released from jail. A whole range of prayers. And in the book of Psalms is this whole book, then a collection of prayers, and we see the whole human experience being expressed towards God. And I want to look at a few of these in just a moment, but, but, but a bigger definition of prayer. Here's, I want to build on this a little bit. And um, this is a, a quote by a guy named Alvin Reed, and he defines prayer this way. That prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. Okay, so it's this idea, we're talking to God, but it's about intimacy with God. And so it's, I'm talking to God about my relationship with him. So there's a relationship that I have with God, so it's intimacy with God, but it's also accomplishing something. And ultimately what prayer accomplishes is God's purposes, the beautiful thing is, though, so often God's, God's purposes line right up with ours. And God asks us, he says, ask, seek, knock. God invites us to pray because the manner in which God often accomplishes his purposes is through our prayers. 
And so back to our wheel thing. Remember, we have faith. And what is faith should produce is faithfulness. And then faithfulness produces that God works through that. And so we could say faith should produce prayer. And then God answers those prayers. So let's look at a couple of verses to help us to see this. In Psalm 18, in the book of Psalm chapter 18, I want to encourage you to follow along with me. We're not going to look at um, all the verses that are in your bulletin, but we're going to, we'll talk about them. But in Psalm 18, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible close to you. Uh, this is on page 454 in the pew Bible. So prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. And this first idea of intimacy with God, we, it's captured very clearly here in chapter 18. And actually, I picked verse eight, chapter 18 because today is August 18th. I'm just going to say, you know what? We pray to God and we can use the psalm as prayer. So I'm just going to say, I'm going to pick today's date and we're going to talk about, about some of the psalm. And look how it starts. Verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the, name, the, Lord, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And that verse starts off by talking about, says, God, I love you. Intimate communication. What do we think about God. Why do we love him? Why do we feel this way about him? And, and he describes that the Lord is his strength. He's a rock. He's a fortress. He's been a deliverer. And he's saying, because of God, because of who you are, and because of what you have done for me, I love you. And he's verbalizing that back to God. It's a wonderful way to start a prayer. As we think about how God, Jesus, teaches us to pray in Luke 11, the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus starts off by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so he's lifting up the person of God. And as he lifts up the person of God and, and his character and his holy nature, that we would do that in our prayers. That, that we would be communicating our, our, our thoughts and our feelings towards God. We see this intimate nature of that. As we would see as well, let's look at the chapter 13, verses 1 to 6. We see another range of prayers. So we see in verse chapter 18, I love you, Lord. But listen to how in chapter 13, the psalmist, again, expresses this relationship that he has with God. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, and lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, and lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And we pause here in this psalm. This is an honest prayer, isn't it? I mean, honest prayer, somebody talking to God and feeling forsaken, feeling that God has forgotten him. He's likely been praying to God and praying to God, and God's not answering him. And it seems like God's a million miles away. And what does he do? It's interesting what he does in this, he has a relationship with God, rather than fold his arms and be mad at God and say, I'm not talking to you then. What does he do? He talks to God, very honestly. And we hear prayers like this sometime, and, and we, I think sometimes that we, we're not honest with God oftentimes. 
I mean, I think that many of us have felt this way. God, how long will you forget me? But we don't talk to God about it. We think, well, that's not, a, that's not a theologically accurate prayer because God doesn't forget anything. And there's no way God has forgotten me because he knows all things everywhere present. I know all this theology because, well, that's not a prayer you should pray. And I would ask the question, then why did God put it in Scripture for us? Because oftentimes the reality is we know the God and I know this theology, but our experience isn't matching up to what we know. And so we cry out to God. And so the psalmist is crying out to God what he's feeling and what he's experiencing. Why does he feel comfortable to do that? Because he loves God. He has a relationship with God. And God is, feels, he feels abandoned by God, but he knows that's not God's nature. What's wrong? And then look at how he finishes this in verse 5. So he's saying, God, how long will you forget me? But then he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And so there's what he's feeling, this abandonment by God, that God's far away. That's what he's feeling. But what does he know? He reminds himself of what he knows, that God's love is steadfast. It's ever, everlasting. He knows that he can rejoice in salvation because his salvation is secure. God has demonstrated his love by bringing him to himself. And he knows that, and because of this, he's going to sing to the Lord when the Lord's been good, even though it doesn't seem like he's good right now. Prayer is intimacy with God, being honest with God, talking to God in a humble, right way. Prayer is an expression of our relationship with Him. And as we consider a relationship with God, we'd also see that, and we would, we would all likely understand this very clearly that the quality of relationship is often marked by the quality of communication. The quality of a relationship is often marked by the quality of communication. Every married couple knows that. Everybody has been in a relationship with someone knows that. That the, the, the better, the healthier our relationship is, the better the communication is. The more communication goes on. When communication goes silent, when communication begins to diminish, what happens to the relationship? It feels cooler. Maybe not cold, maybe not ice cold, but it doesn't feel as warm. But when communication is abundant, the relationship is strong. And, and, and understanding that, as we think about this idea of prayer as intimacy with God, it's talking to God, the question that we may find helpful to ask ourselves is, what is my prayer temperature? If we had some supernatural, magical gadget that we could pull out, run across your forehead, and it says, you know, your physical temperature is 98.7, no, it's 100 degrees, we can see it, okay, that's your physical temperature, something's wrong, we need to address it. What if we could do that with your prayer, your prayer temperature, running across your forehead? What would it reveal? Would it reveal that the temperature is right on track, very healthy? Or maybe it revealed that you're, you're hot with prayer, that you're praying really significantly. But might it also reveal that we're cool, cold, that we haven't been praying? we understand this that prayer is intimacy with god but it's intimacy with god that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes it's about relationship and about ministry about what god's seeking to do
And as we pray to God, what we're ultimately to be praying for is our relationship with him. He wants our relationship to be growing, to be changing. He wants us to becoming more like Christ. Those are his purposes, and he wants to accomplish that through this intimate relationship. And so God calls us to be a praying people. As we think about what God accomplishing his purposes, turn back to Psalm 18. In Psalm 18 is this psalmist begins by praying, I love you, God, and you have delivered me. We read that. Listen to how he, as he prays and for God to bring deliverance, listen to the imagery that he picks up about how, what God does in response to the prayer. So, verse 4, chapter 18, verse 4. The cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of destruction assailed to me. The cords of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. Okay, is he in a bad situation? Yeah, this is a bad situation. What does he do? In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To God, I cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. He heard my voice. My cry to him reached his ear. And then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also, the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals framed, flamed forth from him. He bowed, the, he bowed the heavens and came down. Thick cloudness and darks were under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coal of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coal fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. The channels of the sea were, were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of your breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high and took me, and he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And it's a beautiful picture of praying and this idea when we pray to God that we're praying to Him that God stirs up all of heaven and earth. It's as though the King of all of creation stands up from His throne and the whole universe is like shaking and tottering and God's saying, yeah, I'm on my way. And when a God like that, that's described like that, shows up, what does He do? He delivers us. He delivers us. Listen, this imagery as he is giving to us is helping us to see God hears us, God cares, and God moves everything to accomplish his purposes. That's the God we serve. That's the God who loves us. That's the God who's adopted us into his family. And this is the God that we can pray to. Prayers, intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. We see throughout the scripture people praying and God answering prayers. Abraham prayed in Genesis 20. He prayed to God and God healed Elimelech, this foreign king. In Luke chapter 1, we see Zechariah has been praying and God says, or the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered. As we see in James chapter 5, we read that Elijah was a man of like nature like ours, that he, that, which means 
Elijah was just like us. And it says, he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. You see, God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers. Now, we understand he hears our prayers. He answers our prayers in his time, according to his will. Right? There are lots of there are other factors that play into this, but God is accomplishing his purposes. And so we pray God works. We can have confidence of this. And we recognize what purposes does God want to be accomplishing in us. God wants to see people saved. I mean, are there people in your life that you want to see God transform their lives and bring to him and to save them? Are you praying for them? Because that's how people get saved. God has to open their hearts. Are we praying? Sanctification. Are there people that, in, in your own life, that you realize, man, I'm not where I need to be. They're not where they need to be. I want to see God work in their lives. And often we carry this burden and we look around us and we think, oh, things are hard and I wish it would be better. I wish I could do something. And, and we come to church and we know we, pray, we need to pray. But how often are we actually praying? How diligent are we in actually crying out to this God who can move all things and to accomplish purposes that are lining up with Him? God, restore this marriage. God, help this person to find hope and help in the midst of their trials. God, restore this person's health. This person's health. God, work in these situations and we pray. And God calls us to this. And yet, so often, we fail to pray. That we know, we know all these truths and they're, they're academic and we know them when we truly believe and we have faith that it's all true. But when it comes to faithfulness and prayer, we often fall woefully short. As we understand this in the book on prayer that we mentioned, the author makes this claim that he says in this, uh, he describes prayer as breathing. He says, prayer is like breathing. And he makes this quote. He says, breathing is necessary for everything and enables every activity. Okay, all right. Easy question. How many of you are breathing this morning? All right, okay, good. All right. How many of you thought about breathing this morning? Right? Very few of you are like, oh, I need to make sure I'm breathing. Keep telling my, we, it's an involuntary muscle group that's all working our brains and all that. And we just breathe without thinking. But we realize that breathing is necessary for everything. You could not have gotten out of bed this morning if you weren't breathing. You could not have had breakfast. You could not have driven to church. You could not be sitting. Everything, breathing is necessary for everything. And it enables every activity. And so something you want to do this afternoon, listen, even if you just want to take a nap this afternoon, breathing is necessary, right? Every activity it's necessary for. Now, he says prayer is like breathing. What is prayer? Prayer is necessary for everything and enables every activity. Any work of God that we want to see God do, anything of supernatural work, God has to be in it. God has to be in it. And for Him to be in it, this idea of prayers as breathing, that we need to be breathing consistently. Because, listen, what happens when your breathing becomes sparse and sporadic? You're like, you're just breathing, your breathing starts to, there's something interfering with your breathing, and maybe you've, you've uh, been swimming and you take, take a gulp of water or something, right? And you can't breathe correctly. What happens? Well, a whole range of things happen. Part, one of the things is we start panicking. 
which is interesting. It tells us, well, then prayer's not like breathing because oftentimes we stop praying. How panicked do we get? Oftentimes we just forget. And we're not reminded of it. But when I stop breathing, my body starts to suffer. My brain doesn't get the oxygen that it needs. What happens when I stop, when I'm not breathing properly? I get confused. What happens when I'm not breathing properly? I get fatigued. My muscles begin to cramp. Organs don't work properly. When I'm not breathing properly, what happens? We end up sitting in a recliner or in a bed all the time, and we largely become ineffective, and we feel crummy. And the breathing things, those type of breathing things, are things that we really largely don't have control of when we're having those kind of breathing problems. And yet I'm burdened because when it comes to prayer, when prayer is sporadic, when prayer is sparse, what happens? Oftentimes we get confused. We're not thinking very clearly. That what happens? We get fatigued. I'm exhausted. I'm just worn out spiritually. I'm just blah. And God's saying to us, He's a God of all power. He's saying, trust my strength, and we're tired. Our muscles cramp. We're not responding to life well. Somebody says something to me, and I respond with a cramp, right? I'm pretty harsh and nasty. Why? Because I'm not breathing properly. Our organs don't work properly. Like our, our, our kidneys and our livers that are filtering out all this junk in our physical bodies, what does prayer help do? It helps, it's an or, it helps our organs of thinking clearly, filtering things in our lives, that prayer is like breathing. And yet, rather than depending on prayer and realizing that it is necessary and depending on it, we often only pray when we're desperate. And we don't see prayer oftentimes as something that we're dependent on, but only do when we're desperate. And this author also describes prayer. We end up treating prayer like prescription medication. Okay, when do I take my prescription medication? I take it when there's a need. Right? I got it on the shelf and the doctor says, take as necessary. That's oftentimes how we see prayer. Well, I need it today because there's a big crisis going on, big problem, big opportunity. So I go to the cabinet, open it up, take it out, pray a little bit, and then what do I do with the, ship, the, the prescription? Stick it back on the shelf and go do what I want to do. And I don't know about you, but I find this pretty convicting. Because it's hard to be dependent on prayer and to pray consistently. It's hard. And we understand that it's hard. And while breathing's not hard, praying is hard. And we see that praying is hard. Why is praying hard? One of the reasons praying is hard is we would read in Romans 7, Paul talks about the things he wants to do, he doesn't do, and what he wants to do, he doesn't do, and he doesn't, and he's all this battle going on inside of him. And it's this battle of his flesh. And the reason, one of the reasons why prayer is hard is because our flesh opposes it. My pride says, I can do this on my own. And God says, I want you to help. I want to help you with that. In my flesh, I have doubts. Well, I've prayed about other stuff in the past, and it hasn't come true, so why should I keep praying? Does prayer really accomplish anything? And in my flesh, I end up doubting God. My pride, I'd say I don't need God. My doubt, I question God. I, my selfishness leads me to be praying for just things that I want. That I end up, I want to treat God as a cosmic vending machine. God, I'm hungry for Snickers. I pray, click the button, and God gives me what I want. And I only go to the vending machine like I only go to the medicine cabinet whenever I need something or want something. 
And, and because of that, what happens, our, our flesh is opposing that my selfishness, I just want, want, want what I want. Rather than seeing myself as dependent. So prayer is hard because our flesh opposes it. Prayer is also hard because busyness handles it or hinders it. Busyness makes it hard. It just hinders it. Would anybody here say you're busy? I mean, most everybody says, man, I'm busy. I'm so busy. I've got so much going on. And it's interesting, though, even as busy as you are, we never forget to breathe. Why? Because, well, obviously it's because I don't have to think about breathing. But it's also, I know breathing is essential. But whenever we're busy, what happens? Here's, listen, spiritually, what happens? I think what happens spiritually, what busyness does, it starts to suffocate us. Because busyness keeps us from praying. Busyness keeps us from spiritually breathing. And our busyness begins to suffocate us. And we feel the suffocation. We feel that, 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 that growing on, on us. And we, the busyness and all, all that it brings to us. And we're just overwhelmed and we're stressed and we're anxious and we're short with people. And largely because this busyness has created a suffocation and we're not praying and trusting God. And yet, much of our busyness, I'm also convinced that much of our busyness is simply distraction. That much of our busyness is simply distraction. That, that there are a lot of things that we're doing, but very few of them are really important. There are things I want to do. I want to watch TV. I want to scroll through social media. I want to keep up what's trending on the, on, in the, in, on the Internet. I want, to, I want to follow the news. And I need to know what President Bush, not Bush, that's weird, President Trump said today. Right? I want to know what happened. You know, I've got to keep up with all If I can't keep up with all that, I'm going to be behind. And, and so all of this stuff, and we're, just, we're so busy. And so oftentimes what we're busy with are useless things, things that don't matter, not going to last. And we're so busy with that that we're suffocating and again, there's nothing wrong with these things unless they begin to suffocate us. I think many of us might do a really, might be really profitable for us to maybe do an evaluation of our life and say, what is suffocating me? And what could go so that I could breathe a little easier and carve out time for prayer? So prayer is hard because the flesh opposes it, our busyness hinders it, but also the devil hates it. There's a spiritual war that goes on. As we think about prayer, is intimacy with God. Does Satan want us to have intimacy with our Creator? Absolutely not. He's an enemy. He's a liar, a thief, and a destroyer. He wants to do everything and anything he can to keep us from a relationship, a warm, growing relationship with our Father. And so what does he do? He hates that intimacy part of it. Prayer is intimacy that leads to the fulfillment of God's purposes. Does Satan want God's purposes accomplished in your life and the lives of others? Absolutely not. He hates that, and so spiritual warfare shows up. And I'm convinced, too, oftentimes as we begin to ramp up and get serious about the things of God, and you get serious about, I want to pray, that it'll get hard. That's my experience shows that. People start to get serious about the things of God, and oftentimes hurdles start showing up that weren't there before. That's, I think it's spiritual warfare. So we recognize prayer is hard because our flesh opposes it, busyness hinders it, the devil hates it. And one last one is that we often haven't learned how to pray well. I mean, I went to seminary. We studied prayer, but we didn't, talk, we didn't learn by praying. We didn't learn to pray. 
And I would think, I'd maybe ask you the question, how many of you have had someone take time to teach you to pray? Jesus, and he's teaching his disciples, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. These are disciples that have been with Jesus. I think that's a prayer we need to be praying. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach me how to pray well. Teach me how to pray substantively. Teach me how to pray in a meaningful way that's intimate and, and accomplishes your will that we would cry to God would help us. And we're going to spend some time talking about that next week, but I want to encourage you, next Sunday night, we're going to have a prayer night. And the purpose of our prayer nights are twofold. One, to pray, obviously. The second one, to teach us to pray. To, to learn to pray together, to learn to pray. And I would encourage you, next Sunday night, our evening service is going to be a time of prayer. And if you, I'm going to put Tammy on the spot, but if you have any questions, should I come? It's kind of weird. I'm not sure I really want to do that. Talk to Tammy Morris because God opened her eyes in some really cool ways two prayer nights ago to some of this. Lord, teach us to pray. Listen, as we understand all this, prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of His purposes. I want us, I want you to have a real, genuine, warm, growing relationship with God. That your prayer life is beginning by saying, I love you, Lord. And we're pouring out our hearts to Him. I want us to see God accomplishing His purposes in us and through us. Bringing people to Himself. Bringing people back to Himself. Opening blind eyes. Softening hard hearts. I want to see God working. I want to see marriages being restored. Families being strengthened. I want to see our community coming to understand the truths of the gospel. And the only way that ha those things happen is we need to undergird this with prayer. These are God's purposes. That we would seek to see God do this in us. And so the question for us this morning is, what is your prayer temperature? You ran the thing over your forehead, what would the temperature reveal? And I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you to make an item of your prayers this week to simply start by saying, God increase my prayer temperature. God, grow in me a burden for the necessity of prayer. God, make me, help me to grow to be a praying man, a praying woman, a praying student. God, help me to take steps to begin this, to be breathing, to be more healthy as a believer. Next week, we'll spend more time talking about some of this. I want to encourage you to take a look at that book on prayer. They're in the connection point. And to recognize prayer is essential. If we're, if, listen, if this church is ever going to do any more than we can do on our own, we've got to pray. And I don't know about you, but I want to see God do a whole lot more than what we can do on our own. I want to see Him do far more than all we can ask or imagine. So let's start asking Let's start praying. Let's work on this intimacy with God and pursuing his purposes and watch him, watch him work as we respond to our faith in faithfulness and watch him work. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you've opened the door to us to prayer through the work of Jesus Christ. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, access to the throne of God has been opened. And we can come confidently before the throne of grace. And so, Lord, I pray that we would avail ourselves to that privilege. God, I pray that you would make us a praying church, 
that you would help each of us to be growing in our prayer temperature, that we would not only be convicted by this, but that we would be taking steps to be talking to you on a more consistent basis. Lord, I pray that you would use our prayer nights to grow us together as a church, to develop our skills in praying, that we would pray more and we would pray better for your glory and for our love for you. And so God, help us. Lord, help us to be a praying church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as we conclude the service this morning, we, um, when, the, on the Sundays when we do the Lord's Supper, we receive what we call our Helping Hand Offering. And our Helping Hand Offering is our benevolent fund that we use for those within the church who have financial needs or in our community. And so we're going to receive that at this time if our ushers, and then we missed after a few announcements.